The Romanian government decided to privatize all of its shipyards. So we bid for the yard in Galat, and we were allowed to inspect their books. We saw that the yard was earning a lot of money making our holes, and we thought they were very good and competitive. So really, it was a no-brainer to acquire the company. You're listening to On Course, a podcast from Dame, about how a visionary idea turned a small company into one of the biggest shipbuilders in the world. My name is Volker Tempelman, and I've been fascinated by Dutch entrepreneurs at home and abroad for years. In this podcast, you'll hear a remarkable story about headwinds and perseverance, about daring and doing. It's the 1980s. Commerce approach of building boats as stock and standardization is still hugely successful. Damen has survived various economic crises by remaining independent and responding smartly to demand from the market. The company has constantly been developing and growing steadily in the Netherlands, but also overseas. Damen Technical Cooperation is supplying the expertise and designs to build ships all over the world using local wharves. And a worldwide network of service hubs has been set up to serve customers on location. The hulls are largely built abroad, in low-wage countries like Poland. In the meantime, Damen has also acquired countless specialist wharves, enabling it to increase its operations in niche markets. In economic terms, a new era is dawning. It's the time of Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan, two world leaders with an unshakable faith in capitalism and the free market. Well, things have changed. This past year, inflation dropped down to 3.2%. Interest rates cut nearly in half. Retail sales are surging. Homes are being built and sold. Let us never forget this fundamental truth. The state has no source of money other than the money people earn themselves. If the state wishes to spend more, it can do At the so same so time, their Soviet counterpart, Mikhail Gorbachev, wants to put an end to the so-called planned economy, in which just about everything is regulated by the government. That has an impact not only on the Soviet Union itself, but also on other communist countries like Poland. And Damen gets swept up in those developments because the company has been outsourcing orders to a Polish shipyard in Gdansk since 1975. Because there were structural problems with the planned economy, entrepreneurs and firms from abroad were invited to develop new technologies and production methods to provide access to Western markets. I think this is an example of that. I'm Jan Luyten van Zanden, Emeritus Professor of Economic History at Utrecht University. Astonishing news from East Germany, where the East German authorities have said, in essence, that the Berlin Wall doesn't mean anything anymore. The wall that the East Germans put up in 1989. Eventually, in 1989, the Berlin Wall fell 
and with it, communism. And when the war fell, Poland became a capitalist country. That was a very strange situation. I approached the council in Gdansk and asked them whether we could buy the yard we were currently outsourcing to. They had no idea how to go about that, so I asked them whether everything was registered, whether there were deeds to all the land. How did that work in a communist country? It turned out it was all registered. And they said, if you just let the 70 people who work there now keep their jobs, we'll transfer the whole thing to your name. So, in this new phase of globalization, Damen became the owner of the wharf in Gdansk, with the stroke of a pen. Although keeping the employees at a price tag, Kommer got the shipyard itself for free. <laughs> if you had a good company, one that could compete internationally, as Damen did, you could compete even more effectively. While the Iron Curtain was in place, organizing the flow of goods was very complicated and bureaucratic. But with the fall of the wall, that became a lot easier, particularly when Poland joined the European Union. Yes, it got a lot easier to run a company there. Globalization created new horizons for Damen. Kommer saw the potential right away and employed someone who spoke fluent Russian in order to quickly establish a foothold in the newly opened market. We all started commissioning work in Romania. And later, we outsourced a lot of work to big shipyards in northern Russia. Upheavals in the world, changes, crises, I see them all as opportunities. In the late 70s, we went to China to see if we could buy a shipyard there. It proved to be a very long process. But we eventually bought our first yard there in 1992. We never outsourced work there. We built complete ships and the assembly was done at the yards too. We were actually one of the first to invest in shipyards in China. And we're the only ones to fully own a shipyard there. While Damen was extending its operations to Asia, it was also expanding its product line. Tugs, workboats, dredgers, ferries, patrol boats, cargo ships, tankers, and fishing trawlers. The acquisitions became more and more niche. By now, there was virtually no type of ship Damen didn't produce. There were only two exceptions, says maritime historian Joke Korteweg. Naval ships and super yachts. Everyone in the shipbuilding world was asking why Kommer was interested in sectors like naval and super yachts because they weren't amenable to standardization. Someone buying a superyacht doesn't want a standard boat. They want a boat built to their own design, and they want to be fully involved. At least, that's what people thought. Amels was a shipyard in the northern Netherlands that originally produced medium-sized ships. Because business wasn't good, they decided to focus on building superyachts. The move proved successful. At least, up to a point. 
Then they got an order to convert a ship belonging to Donald Trump, which he had bought from Khashoggi, a Saudi arms dealer. It became the Trump Princess, something of an iconic yacht. At the time, it was the biggest in the world, and Trump decided to build a new one. In the late 1980s, Donald Trump ordered a very big yacht from Amels. It was supposed to be one of the biggest superyachts in the world. But then he started having financial problems. My name is Rose. I'm a third-generation member of the Dahman family, and I'm currently the managing director of Dahman Yachting, Dahman's yacht building division. Rose, Kommer's daughter, explains that shortly after Trump had ordered the new yacht, his accountants told him he had to cancel the order. But if he cancelled the contract, he wouldn't get his money back. So he bought the company. His idea was, if I buy the yard, I'll cancel the contract and then I won't get a claim, because it's my own yard. And six months after buying Amos, he cancelled the contract for his own yacht. Trump then sold Amos to another party. But under its new owner, the company ran into problems, since the yacht was half-built and they still had not been able to sell it. Eventually, in 1991, Dahmen took over the company. My idea was to build superyachts in serial production, to standardize them and build up stocks of hulls, like we did with all the other types of vessels. Serial production, shorter delivery times, etc. But everyone was telling him, building superyachts is really something different. It's unique. People want a boat that isn't too similar to any other product. Moreover, at that time Dahmen was a small company and we didn't have the money to build yachts as stock the way we do now. The banks refused to finance the takeover. They didn't believe in it. They thought rich yacht owners wouldn't be interested in buying identical yachts, but they would want something different each time. But I was convinced it would actually be an advantage for them to be able to see what they were getting. I thought, they're happy to buy Ferraris and Rolls Royces, which look the same as the next guys. This is no different. The first 10 years was pretty grim. We lost quite a lot of money. The customer would get a designer to draw his dream yacht and then go and tender it out to various different yards. And basically, the one that made the biggest error in calculation won the project. So it was a tough business, and we lost a lot of money. We earned nothing from Amos in those early years, but in 2000, we'd earned enough money from other activities. We did start series production, and that proved a big success. We built 36 of those initial types, which was a great success, I think. We built and sold 25 of the Amels 180, which is an iconic design by Tim Haywood, a 55-meter yacht. That's definitely a success story. But we also started to broaden our scope. For example, we're also the market leader in yacht support vessels. We began with an existing Dahmen design for a fast cruise supplier, and then put a teak deck on it with a crane and stabilizers underneath. 
It also had a swimming platform. That's what our first yacht support vessel looked like. On our expedition yachts, you'll also find luxury areas, the parts where customers hang out, as you would on a yacht. But the technical areas actually look a lot like those on our commercial work vessels. Because we built boats as stock, we can offer shorter delivery times. A few years ago, we sold a 60-meter yacht and delivered it in three months. Our focus is always standardization. If you're building a boat you've built before, you have a much better idea how long the project will take and how much it will cost. You know the performance of the product, and you can improve it enormously. You can also engage in a much more strategic collaboration with your co-makers and suppliers. And you can manage your customers' expectations much better. The fact that Daman operates in a number of different markets also makes us future-proof. We're spreading our risk. For example, the yacht market is cyclical and works differently than the market for military vessels. And the markets for workboats or repairs are different again. Daman always has a leg to stand on. They can switch to another sector or hit pause in one of their businesses or focus less heavily on a different sector. The standardized designs are always there waiting on the drawing board and in the filing cabinet, which makes it a very strong company. In the 70s and 80s, the Pushycat and Stantug were big success stories for Dahmen. Improvements were implemented in each new series. But over the years, all kinds of new technologies emerged and customer needs changed. So sometimes it was smarter to develop a completely new model, like the Harbor Tug. Demand was increasing for them because container ships just kept getting bigger and tugs are indispensable for maneuvering them in ports. And port workers wanted vessels that were safer and more efficient. Enter the ASD Tug series, which was introduced in 1993. It was designed by Daman's own research and development department and Koen Boudestein, former director of Daman Tugs. Because they were becoming more efficient, there was a lot of demand for Daman vessels. Ports are all about efficiency. After all, how long does a container ship need to remain in dock and how soon can it depart again? Diamond's ASD tugs were state-of-the-art and it supported this process. They were designed for maximum performance, maximum efficiency and fast and safe working. Because of that, Diamond became the world leader in ship handling tugs, which it remains to this day. Take the successful ASD Tug 2810, for example, which was built in large series and was successfully sold to shipping companies all over the world. From Cape Town to St. Petersburg and from Rotterdam to Rio de Janeiro. Wherever you go in the world, you'll find the ASD 2810. Standardization resulted in large production volumes. By not having to reinvent the wheel and improving on a strong design, a lot of time and money was saved. And that also led to significant margins and profits. That's a result of the series effect, the tried and tested technology and the ever-increasing numbers, which gives you a stronger purchasing position. Series production is attractive for our suppliers too, 
as it brings down the cost price of the materials we source from them, which is passed on in our cost price. Eventually, the ASD tugs became just as important for Damen as the Pushycat and Stantug series had been in the past. To this day, more than 500 have been sold. In 1994, Kommer was made an officer in the Order of Oranje Nassau in recognition of his success as an entrepreneur. It was also the year in which he turned 50. For him, it was a time to realize his lifelong dream, to sail around the world with friends and family. But how do you do that as the head of a major company? His wife Josine had an idea. She said I should just do it because otherwise it would never happen. So I sailed around the world in stages. Each year I would spend two to three months sailing. I did skip the odd year when the business wasn't doing so well. But of course, it was fantastic. I would call in at ports all over the world and come across our boats. Sometimes I was able to combine business with pleasure. And as a designer or shipbuilder, it was helpful to understand the sea. Actually, I think everyone should experience what it's like to be on the sea in a small boat. And I'd always come back with new ideas for things I'd consciously or unconsciously registered. Travelling gives you distance, which helps you see things more clearly. In the meantime, Damen's expansion continued. And in 1999, a Romanian shipyard that Damen had been working with for some time came up for sale. This state-owned shipyard in the city of Galach had 3,000 employees and built hulls for Damen. The Romanian government decided to privatize all of its shipyards. So we bid for the yard in Galach and we were allowed to inspect their books. We saw that the yard was earning a lot of money making our holes, and we thought they were very good and competitive. So really, it was a no-brainer to acquire the company. I'd read about that yard in Galach in a Dutch textbook about marine engineering. It said it had been a very modern yard before the war. Really good yard. In 1999, the country was still transitioning from communism to the free market. So Komer sent his CFO to Galach to negotiate and seal the deal. My name is Mariette Doornekamp. It was only the second takeover by a non-Eastern European company in Romanian history. I had a car with a chauffeur, a Mercedes, and he drove me to Galach. Well, the road was strewn with rocks and we kept having to screech to a halt to avoid horse-drawn carts. There were no streetlights. And when I went to my room at the end of the day, I saw that the curtains were hanging on just two hooks. That was the Romania we first encountered. Of course, we brought employment there. And that creates a kind of infrastructure. Because people were getting paid, there was work for the baker and the butcher too. Then a petrol station appeared between Bucharest and Galach, and a McDonald's. That all happened in the space of two or three years, which was quite something. You almost never get the chance to see that kind of thing happening before your eyes. But I did. It was a big shipyard. Damen wanted to build complete cargo ships and tankers there. 
met een andere prijsstelling. Add a different cost to us, to put it delicately. Negotiations went quickly, and within a few months, the deal was done. We actually bought the shipyard for approximately 12 million guilders. That was unbelievable. It wasn't an expensive acquisition. Of course, you never quite know the risks you're running. There were cultural differences, of course. For example, having more people on the payroll than we originally thought. Or the time when the interior of the production halls was suddenly the same color as the ships. It turned out that they had paint left over and they decided to paint the walls. <laughs> it certainly gave the place a facelift. So yes, sometimes the mentality was different, but it all worked out. Of course, you take on lots of projects, but you only really score once in a while. The yard was a score. So, never give up and keep going. Ultimately, my aim was to buy up all the yards in the Netherlands and neighboring countries. That way, I'd have less trouble from the competition. And I've been pretty successful at that. By 1998, Damen had acquired more than 30 shipyards. Expanding, doing business, seeing new opportunities, it's all part of the company's DNA. Apart from that, it's a question of good timing. In the late 90s, globalization really got going, explains Jan Luyten van Zande. And for visionaries like Kommer Damen, whose companies were already operating internationally, that brought even more opportunities. It became easier to exploit economies of scale. If you had particular strengths or a particular expertise, it really did make a difference whether you could sell globally or only on a domestic scale. If you could sell globally, you could become a much bigger company in the Netherlands or wherever. So it changed everything. As the new millennium approached, Damen became the biggest shipbuilder in the Netherlands. Look, everyone could see that we simply had the most successful formula. Nobody really imitated us because nobody had the courage to do it. And a lot of our success came down to our large international sales organization. We really were active in every country. So no one else could keep up with us. But Comer wasn't done with acquisitions just yet. The biggest was still to come. You've been listening to On Course, a podcast from Damen made by audio agency Airborne. Don't want to miss another episode? Subscribe in your favorite podcast app.